The world of real estate investing is always changing. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just starting out, attorney and author Natalia Willett Grice has the expertise to provide valuable guidance on how to navigate the complexities of real estate investing. This is the Legacy Academy. Hello and welcome to the Legacy Academy. I'm your host, Justin Grice, and with me as always, my wife, attorney Natalia Willett Grice, the owner of LCO Law, and the author of How to Manage Florida Rentals and Win in Court in Less Time and with Less Conflict. Uh, you can find this uh, great book on Amazon by clicking the link in the description. And I'm telling you guys, she goes through everything in this book, soup to nuts. If you haven't gotten a copy of this book yet, you really need to jump on this link and pick yourself up a copy. You'll, you'll thank yourself later. Um, so in today's episode, this one is for you, landlords. We're going to be discussing how to get the best possible tenant for your rental property. Because having the right tenant is going to make your life as a landlord easier and more profitable. Uh, profitable. The less time you have to worry about a problem tenant, the more time you can do uh, you know, what makes you happy. So... <laughs> <laughs> we want to we want to help you on, on that level. So when we're talking about finding the right tenant, Natalia, from a legal perspective, what is the right tenant? So there, there's like no precise right or wrong tenant, but I can say what would be a great tenant or a much better tenant and the alternative to what I've seen in all the eviction cases that we handle. So a great tenant is somebody who, first and foremost, is who they say they are, right? That's identity, important. yeah, identity is key. And you'd be surprised by how many people refuse to provide the right information regarding their identity. So that's a big red flag right there. So if somebody is willing to give you all their ID, contact info from the very start, that's a good sign. Um, they are either employed or have a consistent source of self-employment income, right? With proof, ready at the hand. This mm -hmm. is somebody that, like knows that they want to get into a, an actual professional lease agreement and has all of the documentation to back it up. They are responsive. Uh, so that means, you know, like if you've got um, an application that you sent them, they complete it within the same day. They're also responsible. So this means, you know, if they're employed, they're letting you know, hey, I'm going to get back to you with this thing at this time because right now I'm, you know, I'm wor in work. So those give you details as to like their sense of responsibility. And they're also the tenant uh, type that fits in what the property can actually deliver, right? So if you have a one bedroom, um, kind of let's call it a studio apartment, for example, and you know they're applying and they have four kids, that's not the right fit for the property. Sure. So they need to have um, something in terms of like the the lifestyle or how many people are going to occupy the property as a correct fit. Now we'll talk about that a little later as to things that you can't discriminate on, but generally it'll make sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So in this vein, how important is it to do a thorough tenant screening? Well, it's vital. I mean, like you, you're handling a very expensive asset that you have to a stranger, right? Yeah. And, and it's, it is, <laughs> <laughs> devastatingly frustrating to see how many 
of my uh, eviction landlord clients didn't do a proper screening in advance. Probably just trying to get somebody in there to get that rental company. Yeah, and and screening is really the key to to make sure that you're not putting in a dangerous stranger in your property and and handing them over control of your assets. Sure. Uh, And by dangerous, I don't mean necessarily something that's physically dangerous, although I have seen that in cases. Um, I would say, you know, like financially precarious for you, especially since many landlords have hard money loans or higher interest rate loans that they're responsible for, for these properties. Sure. Yeah, that makes total sense. Um, So to help these landlords, what are some essential steps that should be involved in your screening process, you know, for these potential tenants? So, so definitely a verification of identity, uh, as long with contact information and names of anybody else that's supposed to be an occupant under mm-hmm. the lease agreement, uh, verification of income, references, and I don't mean just, you know, request references and don't do anything about it. Call them. Really call the references and, and verify that these people are who they say they are. Mm-hmm. Um a credit check, uh, an eviction check, which generally can be done through background check companies. Um, but those are th- at the bare minimum, the things that you should be requesting in your application. So those 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 services are worth it. Yes. Worth, yes. What, worth what you're going to pay for a background yeah, check. And, and that's the reason why you should have a rental application fee. Yeah. Yeah. That makes total sense. Mm-hmm. Okay. So while, while landlords are screening these potential tenants, what are the documents that you can legally collect from prospective tenants during the application process? So I would say what makes it a little bit easier is if you don't want to handle all this information yourself and have all this data, then you can hire a third-party screening company to do kind of like those background check things. You're still going to get the rental application. You're still going to get you know the information regarding their address. A copy of their ID kind of thing. But you can ask for their ID. You can ask for income verification. You can ask for bank statements. You can ask for uh, tax returns. Um, you can ask for any sort of like employment contracts. If they say, you know, if it's a higher end kind of a property, it makes sense that like, hey, uh, this physician wants to rent uh, my house and they say that they're under contract with such and such hospital. You might want to verify that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so well, those kind of employment contracts. Yeah, and let me ask you this. So it, it makes sense to me, and, and tell me if I'm wrong, but if you get like check stubs, that that can prove that they're working there or had worked there for the time periods that are in the check. But do you think that maybe um, getting the tax returns is probably a better indicator of stability of employment and things like that because you can't really call up their employer and be like hey does you know joe smith make 800 dollars a week but you can <laughs> are they legally allowed to give you that information it, they, you can request any sort of financial information right okay. to verify and make sure that they can pay your rental uh, amounts uh, based on whether it's monthly quarterly etc you need to be able to verify that financially they can cover it. Okay. So anything relating to financials, you can ask about. You can ask about. that. That's I guess that's where I'm confused. There, are there no privacy protections for people? No. When it comes to financial information, if you're going to be entering into a contract that demands you having a financial obligation every month, that you can get asked for that. Okay. And if you don't want to give it, they don't have to rent it to you. Okay. Um, the things that you can't ask about or that you have to be extremely careful about asking about are things that relate to protected classes, 
which you know, I think I want to address uh, with a couple of other questions that you've got for me. Okay. Okay. That sounds good. Um, what are some red flags that landlords should be wary of during the tenant screening process? So, you know, like one of the things would be, for example, the income doesn't match the pay stubs that they give you, True. which is why it's important to call the employer to verify how much they're making, mm -hmm. right? Um, refusal to disclose who else is going to occupy the property, a refusal to provide verification regarding any pets, um, a refusal to talk about smoking habits, which you can most definitely discriminate based on smoking habits. Um, excuses already in advance regarding paying an application fee or a deposit or, you know, the, the rent that you have there, attempts to negotiate these things. They're not part of your business. Right. <laughs> that's not something that's okay. And that's already giving you a clue that they're going to try to do the same thing to you every month or come up with excuses for paying rent. Sure. Um, other things that I would say kind of like red flags is that they don't have forwarding addresses or anybody else's an emergency contact because that means they can very easily disappear and then you're left holding the bag. Right. Um, so I would say, you know, those are those are big ones. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Um, you've been doing the eviction thing for, for over a decade now. Mm -hmm. And what are some of the most common mistakes that you've seen that landlords make when choosing a tenant? So the, I'm going to talk about three common mistakes that I see too frequently, and then a fourth one that I'll throw in for funsies. So <laughs> <laughs> okay. one is relatives. So renting property to relatives. I would never rent to my brother. Mother, I love him. Mother, brother, sister, you know, cousin, et cetera, your nephew, your niece, your uncle. Like those are huge mistakes. Too many people tend to do those through handshake things and... The reality is that when it comes to relatives, you need to be extremely careful and even more diligent than if you were with a complete stranger. True. The same thing goes for the second type of common mistake, which is friends, renting things out to friends. It's the number one way to lose a friendship. Yeah. Um, and again, they think that because they're your friend that they're entitled to not comply with the terms of your lease agreement. Right. Um, and the third one I would say in that kind of like arena is a friend of a friend so like the oral referrals of yeah. you know like the neighbor oh. says oh i know this person and they you know they need some help and can you put them in and that kind of a friend of a friend thing is just uh not great there's a reason why that person isn't housed <laughs> there's usually a story behind non-payment or flakiness or chronic unemployment unwillingness to use um, public resources effectively, like, you know, because there are available programs for, for getting rental assistance. But if people aren't even going through that uh, method, it's because they're just, they're flaky and they're not complying yeah. with those. So generally those are the friends of a friend. And it's okay to have empathy for these people, for their story, but it really isn't going to fit into your business model. Right. It's not a business decision. You can't have empathy be the business decision when it comes to your rentals unless you want to be losing money. Right. Um, and so the other one that I would say is like my bonus throw in is if you acquire property via foreclosure, uh, I, one of the biggest mistakes that I've seen is letting that current tenant continue to be a tenant because you didn't pick them. You didn't get to do an application and screening process. You didn't verify anything. Mm -hmm. And how do you know that this is a, a compliant person? Right. 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 So... Okay. Those are my recommendations there. 
So we have some clients that use property management companies to find tenants and things like that for them, right? Mm -hmm. What are some advantages and disadvantages from using a property management company to do this for you? So if you have, um, generally, I mean, property management companies can charge anywhere between 10 and 15% of rent. So you oh. do have to take that into account. Yeah, that's a big chunk. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, a, a financial disadvantage is the fees involved. However, if you do have a really good property manager who is responsive, who, you know, allows you to use your own contracts for leasing um, and who lets you know whenever there's something that comes up with a property, right? They have a good team in place. It's going to be... Um, peace inducing for you sure. because you're not going to be the one responding to every request for repair or maintenance or all these other things. So having a property management company in that sense can be a plus, but you get what you pay for. And mm -hmm. sometimes you don't even get what you pay for. So you really do have to do a thorough screening as to the practices and reputation of that management company. You know, look them up, look at reviews, speak with some of their, like ask to speak with some of their clients. Um, it's worth it because these are going to be the people in charge representing you on behalf of or, or with the landlord. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, and their fees, that 10 to 15% is a significant chunk of the profit margin. Right. Exactly. Associated with that property. I mean, between taxes and Taxes and insurance and, and repairs insurance, yeah. and, and, you know, the, what you have to set aside for legal and for capital improvements for the, the house and, and all of that, like, a roof replacement or an AC replacement, sure. that kind of thing. So you do have to make sure that the numbers match up. Um, and also their promises do match up with, <laughs> with the reputation. Right, right. So when landlords are putting out their advertisement or whatever, however they're, you know, finding their tenants, mm -hmm. how can they effectively communicate their tenant criteria? So, um, you know, you have to have really detailed applications, right? Sure. That's where you really are communicating your criteria. And it's also a way to protect yourself from being called discriminatory. Because if you have a written tenant application that gets used for every single person, and it is, you know, facially neutral, which just means it, you know, it doesn't say like, hey, what's your race? You know, <laughs> what's your like marital status kind of a thing, yeah. right? Um and you provide that to every potential applicant and it has all those requests for the financial verification of income, tax returns, bank statements, everything that you need financially to determine if the person's qualified, right? Um, that's, that's really how you communicate the effective criteria, right? You need to have written applications just like you should have written leases. Yes, yes. Um, so one thing that you know, landlords might run into, especially in Florida, mm -hmm. is um, rental uh, history from people who have come from a different country. We have a lot of immigration mm -hmm. in Florida. So how can landlords verify a tenant who just moved here? So you do have to be careful in that respect for a couple of reasons. One, the state of Florida just recently passed legislation which says that you can get in trouble if you 
sell or lease property to specific uh, individuals that come from specific designated countries. Now, I do think it's going to be challenged constitutionally because of the discrimination based on the country sure, yeah. of origin. Uh, right now, the countries that are on that list are China, China Iran, uh, Venezuela. Um, there's a couple more in there. I think Cuba might yeah. be there as well. Surprisingly, not Russia. <laughs> no, Russia's there. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Russia's in that one, too. I think those uh, five are the big main countries that are um, alluded to in this one. Uh, and for that, you do have to make sure that you're looking up the current law to see, you know, the details of what it means and who is impacted by this. But generally, it's referring to potential officials from those countries. Sure. Yeah, origin. that makes sense. Um, but if you have somebody that is going to rent a unit that is a commercial unit, right, uh, and, and the company is a foreign company or is owned by foreign nationals, you know, you want to make sure that you verify, like, the identity and maybe uh, authorization to have the business in the United States. So you might want to request some documentation regarding um, business visas sure. involved. Yeah. If you have somebody that intends to reside in a residential property and they're foreign nationals, you do need to request verification that they can be residents. So, you know, it could be like a student visa, a work visa, a green card, those kinds of things. Um, you cannot discriminate based on national origin. Right, okay? and that, that's kind which of why, why we this tie these in. Right, which is why this legislation is, in my opinion, going to be challenged as to those specific nations because it's it's already been deemed as like not a discriminatorily allowed thing. Sure. Um, but you can, you know, use the information regarding like how long they have a visa for and all that yeah, to make yeah, a determination, right? That. Yeah, because you don't want to be, you know, <laughs> yeah, signing a year lease for someone who's allowed to be in the country for six months. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So is it more challenging to find people's history if, say, they immigrate from El Salvador. 100%, right? So the records in those countries are few and far between. In most other countries, it is difficult to find publicly available information. Like, try to find something uh, for, you know, citizens of Germany. They're a very, very private country. Mm -hmm. It's very difficult to locate anything on uh, somebody from there. And so this is how it is for most countries. Um, you're not going to get much from a Google search. So at that point, you know, if they are a foreign national, then you're going to have to request additional documentation in that application. Okay. All right. So that, that's actually really a good idea. Like having a checkbox, are you mm -hmm. a foreign national? However, you know, you want to formulate right. the language, but then if yes, these are the documentation, you know, documents that we're going to require to verify. Right. And again, that you can't make your determination based on whether they are a foreign national or not, because national origin is a protected class. But you can say, you know, you don't have you haven't demonstrated to me that you have the information necessary to prove that you have rights to residency here. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that, that's why I talked about like commercial versus residential. Sure. Sure. OK, so. What are some important questions to ask potential tenants in the screening process? Um, definitely, you know, regarding 
number of occupants and how many occupants are minors. Mm-hmm. Um, pets, because <laughs> pets will wreck a place. Yes, they will. <laughs> uh, cats are notorious for leaving scents that are will never go away. Uh, and you have some um, pets that, you know, can be risk to other occupants nearby, especially if it's like a multi yeah, multi-family. multifamily. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, smoking habits, you know. Um, and even though, for example, uh, smoking marijuana is legal in the state of Florida, if somebody has a medical card, that doesn't mean that they get to smoke inside of your house, right. inside of your rental property, right? You can still limit it to, hey, you got to step outside to do that. Um, and then, you know, definitely ask about the duration of their current employment. You want somebody that demonstrates stability. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and if somebody has a, like, habit of uh, jumping from one employment to the other in two to four months at a time, unless they are somebody like a travel nurse, which can demonstrate that they have a contract for this type of thing, I would say that's a bit of a red flag. Yep, yep. Um is there any way that uh, landlords can ensure that the tenant screening process complies with fair housing laws? So I would say yes. So, you know, the, the Fair Housing Act um, makes a ton of information available online. So it's mm-hmm. really easy to look up, like, what is a protected class, right? So this means what are qualifiers for human beings that those qualifiers uh, can't be the reason why you made the decision to rent or not rent to that person. So this includes, you know, um, if they have disabilities, right? That's ADA protects against discrimination based on that. Um, If they have, uh, you know, if they're uh, their race, right? I mentioned national origin already, their gender, their identity as LGBTQ+. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also a recent one, which is based on whether somebody's a victim of domestic violence. So if somebody is the victim of domestic violence, that is not a basis to deny them an application. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. And that's from the Violence Against Women's Act. Um, you know, other types of protected classes are like religion, you know, like their faith. Sorry, but if you're... If you're Catholic and and you know you're against another religion, you cannot deny that housing based on that person having a different religion than you. Sure. How uh, how do these kind of things work in terms of practicality? Um, how can they prove like you didn't rent to them because they're Muslim or they're gay or you know they have a disability? So number one, right? You have a consistent uh, written application that is used for everybody. Mm-hmm. So that's the number one, right? You're not discriminating because you use the same application with everyone. Yes, so that's number, an important note, yes. you guys. Number two, you do not ask about these protected class things in your rental application. Sure, you just don't mention it at all. Right, don't ask what their gender is. Don't ask what their marital status is because that's also protected class. You you can't discriminate saying, hey, you're married and or you're unmarried and I only rent out to married people. Nope, that's not allowed. Interesting, okay. <laughs> um, uh, you know, so you can't ask about those things. That's why you really need to be sticking to, one, are they over the age of 18? And that is necessary because they need to be able to contract. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Legally enter into contract. And then all the financial things, right? What is the verification that you have the resources to pay for this? Even a person with disability, for example, right? They might be the beneficiary under a supplemental needs trust. They might uh, receive disability income benefits. And if that's consistent, 
then that cannot be a disqualifier, the fact that they have a disability, right? Right. So that's how they're going to cover themselves, by using the same process right. no matter who applies. Same process. And then again, do not ask about disabilities. Do not ask about any of those other things, right? Unless you want to put in something like, um, you know, do you have a service animal in place, right? Um, because service animals have a different classification and they're not considered pets. Sure. Are you allowed to charge um, a pet deposit for service animals? No. Ah, so that's another one that people should be aware of. Right, because they're not pets. Under federal law and state law, a service animal is not pets. That is different from an emotional support, et cetera, which are statutorily defined, but you can learn more about that in my book. I go in depth relating to, you know, federal law about this and also state of Florida's laws about the specifics on it. All right. Excellent. Um, one thing that isn't on my list of questions, but I'm really curious because we have talked about it before is, uh, I think you called it an adverse action letter. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now, when is it required that you send out, like, if you're not going to rent to somebody, that's what this basically is, right? Yes, and it's for a specific reason. So if you deny a um, tenant's application based on their credit score. Okay, so if you pull their credit. Mm-hmm. Then you need to provide them with an adverse action letter. And that's um, a requirement? That's a requirement, yeah. And it just basically says, like, here's the three credit agencies. This is a credit agency that I use that pulled it. If you have, like, an objection to what the credit agency is saying is your credit, then here's the contact information for them. So that's an adverse action letter, mm-hmm. right? And so be aware that if you are using background check services that do pull people's credit and give you a credit score or a credit report kind of a thing, and you do decide not to rent to them based on their credit, even if it's just like 10% of the decision was because of their credit, right? Maybe the other 90% was because this person was a complete and total a-hole when they had that. Yeah, it's <laughs> not like grandma's you. ashtray. <laughs> <laughs> no. So like, even if it's, you know, a minimal reason for it, you still have to send it an adverse action notice letter. It's um, probably a good idea to send that letter every time that you pull credit. Yeah. And I mean, like... If you're going to deny it. Yeah, pretty much. If you're going to deny them, just go ahead and do it. Um, But I would say other like legal pitfalls that I see that you should be aware of is, you know, things like I talked about that people are not aware that are discriminatory, right? Like that family status, married versus unmarried. A lot of people don't know that's protected. Also, pregnant versus non-pregnant. Those are protected classes. Hmm. So yeah, it's not something that you would normally think of. It's not something you'd think of, right? So just be aware of that as a landlord. You don't want to fall into those pitfalls. Excellent. Excellent. All right. So finally, Natalia, what are the three things that a landlord must do to ensure that they're getting the best possible tenant? So number one, I'd say create a very substantive written application. Yep. Right. And give it to everybody. And give it to everybody across the board. That way you cannot be accused of being discriminatory. Right. And if you update it, you know, it's like the once a year update for the next leasing. And, you know, you give the same new updated one to everybody. True. Um, Two, I recommend that you require a background check and a financial screening. Mm -hmm. It's it's important to know that you're going to be able to get paid back. And that is one of the (laughs) few legally acceptable reasons for accepting or denying housing, Mm -hmm. right? And then number three, 
apply your decision-making process evenly across all applications. Yeah, all don't set yourself up for a lawsuit. Right, exactly. So, you know, if you've got, uh, an, uh, you know, 10 applications that came in and, you know, five of them are substantially similar, but nine out of the 10 applicants were African-American versus one white applicant and you went with a white applicant, there needs to be a legitimate basis for why you went with that person that isn't race determinant, right? So you've got to be very, very careful and just have like a written system of how you are determining if this is a, a you know, a valid application for you or not. Um, the same thing for like, what's the ultimate reason why you decided to go with this person versus this other person? And it can't be one of those protected class reasons. So, you know, create a protected paper trail for yourself and do not uh, violate the discriminatory housing laws. That's great. So again, you guys, you want to grab Natalia's book. We, she goes much more in depth with all of these sections. I'm looking here, you know, she goes into landlord mindset, running your rental as a business, asset protection of it. You guys really need to check this out. I'm going to put a link in the description. Again, that's how to manage Florida rentals and win in court in less time with less conflict. We'll see you next week. Thank you so much for joining us. And if you like what you heard, hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast application. And then tune in every Monday to get more tips on how to avoid investing's legal pitfalls and take your real estate business to the next level. You can also find us online at lcolawfl.com or find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash the Legacy Academy FL.